It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. moment, 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 moment. What's up, everyone? Hello, hello. What's going on? Turn my, my headphones up. It's Mika Gadsden. This is mic'd up. I'm trying to get my intro music, y'all, to be both loud and on time. I think I figured out a system. <laughs> so what's up? This is mic'd up on OM. Uh, I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. You're listening to OM Radio, which is your 96.3 FM on radio, your nonprofit, non-commercial radio station. We're broadcasting live from Workshop here at 1503 King Street in the uh, OM Radio studio. And I'm trying to, again, do two things at once. And yeah, today's episode is going to be a very special one for me. Um, it's going to mark a very significant moment in my OM Radio, I guess, career. I spoke, I've spoken to a lot of amazing people um, via Skype, um, in studio, um, but I, I don't think I've ever pre-recorded an interview that I've done with someone with a notable personality. And this week, uh, especially this week, is, is very important that um, that I really start to, oh, here we go, IG problem, <laughs> really start to um, to get into the political discourse. And I know I've already done that. I've had Black Voters Matter on air. I've had uh, Crystal Simmons, State Reps Crystal Simmons in studio and, and so much political content. This is a political show. This is an activist show. Um, however, um, I think really need to, I really need to, to, to heighten the, the, the level of discourse and help folks, I guess, contextualize what they're seeing, uh, what they're hearing, what they're reading regarding um current affairs here both locally and nationally uh so today uh if, you, if you're listening and you're listening because i've, I've uh, i guess advertised my interview with nina turner yes i will be playing um my exclusive interview with nina turner i was able to speak with um with uh senator turner on sunday she came to can you help me out thanks yeah i think that's good yes yeah, perfect perfect um, she came to um, to Wadmala Island, and that's currently where I reside. Um, Wadmala Island, uh, part of Charleston County, for those who don't know. And she came uh, along with another surrogate, uh, Danny Glover, the actor Danny Glover. They came as surrogates for the Bernie Sanders campaign. And um, I corresponded with a friend of mine, Jessica Bright. Shout out Jessica Bright. Shout out her mom, Margie Bright. Um, two women in, in local politics who are doing so many amazing things and forging a pathway forward for themselves. Uh, after speaking with my friend Jessica, she was able to coordinate uh, an exclusive interview between myself and Nina Turner. And a lot of folks, you might not know Nina Turner. I think if you follow politics, even casually, and you definitely follow the 2016 presidential election, you saw Nina Turner, you heard her. And I mean that in the most complimentary way. Um, this woman has a voice, has a passion for not just politics and civil civil service, but she, she has a passion for uh, the this, the work that she's doing on the campaign with uh, Bernie Sanders. She's really passionate about um, being his surrogate. She's been here, uh, she's been in this state so many times. I can't even count how many times she's either been here, Columbia, stumping for Bernie. And um, I think the fact that she's one of the mainstays 
that stayed with the campaign because um, Bernie lost a lot of high-profile help, not- most notably uh, Simone Sanders. And I don't use the word lost to mean like anything bad happened, but you know, other staff members have moved on, have have transitioned to other possibilities. But uh, you know, the fact that Nina stayed really intrigues me, and I'm I'm just um, interested to see what she does and what she continues to do in that role um, as a surrogate and co-chair of the campaign. Um, what what I realize is, um, you know, black women do so much to help either galvanize communities or propel candidates, uh, and, and she's just that. So it was really interesting for me to hear from her. I really wanted to have an interview with her, uh, and I, this is not an endorsement for any campaign. I've said this on a previous show. I don't anticipate ever endorsing any presidential campaign, not publicly giving an endorsement. Um, however, I want to hear from as many camps as possible, and that's what I'm doing behind the scenes is trying to work with other folks like Jessica to see if I can speak with as many um, either surrogates or directly to the, each candidate, and that that's my goal as of now. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Is and then bring that information to to all those who listen, all those who who really want to learn more and know. I guess get a better understanding. I'll never tell you who to vote for. I do have my personal favorite, um, but that's not an endorsement. And I do have um, a couple of candidates that I'm not really interested in in sitting down with. But um, I, as a professional, I definitely would just hear hear folks out. But probably I, what I'll end up doing is probably just airing clips or some sort of local or or reading some sort of local reporting or pointing folks to local reporting on those other candidates um there's some candidates that i just just cannot get behind um whether i and and, you know i'm not a reporter so objectivity is not is not at the forefront of what i do i do give commentary i do give an opinion um so yeah so um but yeah hopefully i will be able to bring other interviews along with today's uh nina turner interview and and it's not a particularly long interview it was really grabbing her before she got to speak um but along with the nina turner interview i'm going to try to play um a little bit of from an interview that well not an interview excuse me uh i gained access to joe joe biden uh shout out to my friend fernando i had fernando on the show at a previous on a previous episode Fernando Soto, um, he was able to uh, get me, have make sure that I was in the right space so I could at least be part of the press that could approach Joe Biden. And I was able to ask one question specifically on behalf of black women. I'm going to try to find that, that little audio that I can play uh, during this show as well and why it was important for me to to actually, you know, to why it was important for me to ask him that specific question. And I actually asked a similar question to Nina Turner, um, and that is, you know, what do you have to say to black women or what messaging should black women be in tune with from your campaign? That's very important. Um, so, yeah, this week was very mu- it was very fun. This week was was uh, filled with uh, it was very eventful. I'm a political junkie. I have a degree in poli sci. I worked in New Jersey state politics and I work here locally around, I guess, around the periphery of politics. Um, and I, I just, this week to me is fun and any week where there's a nationally televised debate is fun. So this week we had two nights of debates because of course the democratic presidential, uh, field is rather, rather vast. Uh, we have over 20 candidates, uh, running for office, running for president, not all candidates qualified to be on the stage. And even with 20, 20 or so, uh, candidates, 
it's amazing that even there were still a couple of folks who didn't make it to the stage. Like we didn't see Tom Steyer. We didn't see a couple of other folks. I can't remember their names. I, they're not that notable. There's an African-American gentleman that's running for office and his name escapes me right now. But I, I did want to give a little quick breakdown as to what we saw this week. Um, you know, as I, as I always stress, and I might sound like a broken record, it's really important, especially within the Democratic Party, that black women have a voice and have a seat at the table. Um, and, and we didn't see that represented well in terms of moderation of the debates. Both the CNN debates uh, that aired two nights this past week and also in the previous MSNBC or rather NBC debates that aired, um, though they had two African-American or black uh, moderators on each on, on each broadcast, Unfortunately, no black women were included. And this makes me miss the days of Gwen Ifill um, and other black women trailblazers who were present during um, pivotal uh, political moments such as this. And so um, that's my first takeaway is just really, really wishing that black women had more more of a say so and more of a just were more prominently featured, especially in Detroit um, and Motor City. It, w- it would have been very important to see that. Um, aside from that, what I my takeaway from the CNN debate was this is one reason why I've divested from CNN uh, about over a year ago. I, I I'll turn on CNN if there's like a natural disaster or something because you know they all they're on twenty four seven and their Chiron is is definitely going to have some late breaking news. But outside of that, I no longer consume Chris Cuomo. Rachel, uh, um, let me not say Rachel Maddow. She's not on that channel. Chris Cuomo, uh, not no more Don Lemon, no more Anderson Cooper because it is quite the spectacle, and I get what they're doing. They are creating TV that you just have to watch. It's addictive. Um, it induces so much rage sometimes when you listen to some of these pundits, and then when they invite um, other, you know, other voices on, it's, it's it just makes the, the conversation rife with contention. And I don't necessarily like to consume my political information in always these like in these constant adversarial um, ways. Like I like to consume the facts and with a, as as little emotion as possible. You know, politics can get emotional, and they should. Um, I don't begrudge anyone from be, for feeling emotional about anything, but to constantly consume that type of production is a little bit for me just a little bit too much. And I don't want to judge or alienate anyone who does consume CNN regularly. Just for me, it's just not my it's not my my cup of tea any longer. Um, but of course, I had to watch the debates this week, and CNN created it. And what I saw was a carryover from what their their nightly shows create which is that that argument that you know yelling heads talking heads type deal the way that the questions were framed from the moderators really were were needlessly provocative and I believe I took that that very phrase from the Washington Post it was really just built and designed the debates were to to um, have the, uh, the the participants confront each other as opposed to speak to the issues and that's un, and that's un, um, unsettling um, one, uh, it was a post-debate recap. I can't believe, I don't remember where I heard this from. It may have been Tiffany Cross on MSNBC, but I long for the, the moment where they have a an audience-free debate. I don't know if anyone will do that because people are going for that gotcha moment where the crowd erupts and either gasps or applause. So having an, uh, an audience-free uh, debate. I hope we can have that. We've had that in the past. That actually will help you hear the candidates more, not just literally, but but figuratively. You could hear the candidates more, hear what they have to say. And um, also, one thing that CNN did was, and, and it, some of it is attributed to the the sheer amount of 
candidates on stage, but the time limits and the way they kept interrupting certain candidates and, and they weren't always consistent across the board with who they interrupted and, and when. And so that disproportionate amount of time hearing from a quality candidate, and I'll say like a, a, a Julian Castro, I wanted to hear more from him on night two of the debates this week and um, less of the whole Harris versus Biden versus Booker. It was like a WWE like matchup and the the music. I listened to a podcast this morning. I think it was The Daily and they were saying like it was the voice of God music and it's just you know you're not watching news you're watching entertainment and um it kind of just just kind of turns me off a little bit Sa- sorry to sound like a curmudgeon um but that's just that's just me um I, I really like to get my 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 news straight no chaser uh the older I get this is that's just my sensibilities so um so I do get a lot of my post debate recap from other sources audio sources like podcasts or um, some really dope lectures, too, on YouTube from the Hammer Institute. Uh, they had a really dope post-debate uh, wrap-up with intellectuals, with scholars, um, with PhDs. Not to say that it has to be that high-minded, but it was very down-to-earth. And they opened it up to the audience who had some very great uh, feedback as well. So aside from the debates being a spectacle, um, I thought there were some good um, moments, especially night one. Night one Tuesday, uh, it featured uh, Elizabeth Warren. It featured Bernie Sanders. It featured Delaney. It featured uh, Governor Bullock. And um, from that, I'm not even going to go through the list because, honestly, the the most notable folks who stood out were just those names I mentioned, um, for, representing more of the progressive side, which is, again, full disclosure, where I'm leaning um, it, you know, toward a, a Warren, I'm, I'm more receptive toward a Warren um, or a, a Sanders point of view, a more progressive point of view than I am, let's say, a Bullock and Delaney. They represent more moderate, and I would say, I would say Bullock, Governor Bullock, is 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 more of a moderate. Where Delaney almost sounded outright conservative. And what I learned from night one was that it was pitted. It was positioned in a way so that the moderates and the and the progressives would be um, confrontational toward each other. A lot of the framing of the questions, as I noted just a moment ago, was they were framed in a way so that it would cause each other to cause each candidate to attack one another, as opposed to answering the questions. I will say that a lot of candidates recognized that and held held the moderators accountable. Um, uh, by by telling them that the questions sounded more like conservative talking points, or reframing the question, saying like when Amy Klobuchar was uh, was posed with a question about, well, Elizabeth Warren says this, did that make does that make you that? You know, Amy Klobuchar was like, well, I don't know if she said that for sure, but here here's my response to the question. So I like that pivot that a lot of candidates, a lot of the savvy candidates didn't take the red meat, didn't fall for it, and just answered the question. I believe night one was more substantive because there was less of that. Again, the the heavy hitters, the front runner, of course, is Biden. And then Kamala had such a great showing in her first debate on NBC. So those that that second debate, the second night of debate on Wednesday was going to be more. I guess um, I think it was higher rated as well. It was going to be more of a like a musty TV moment. Night one was more. I guess if you are a politico or you like to nerd out on politics, night one was more substantive and less combative. Um, and so I felt like I got a, a better understanding. A lot of folks came away from night one saying they didn't understand healthcare. 
They're saying that the Democrats are not doing a good job explaining health care. I kind of push back on that, maybe because I know each candidate's platform on on health care. Like, for instance, um, you know, Kamala Harris just out just rolled out her Medicare for all plan, which is not Medicare for all. But she, you know, presented it that way so that it would appeal to progressives. But in substance, it, it was more, I guess, something else more, more. It, it created that public option that people wanted, and that's a little that's not Medicare, and it gave the 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 healthcare industry way too much power in that. So it's not Medicare for all, but she branded it that way, and she's branding her campaign that way as well. Um, but but the night one, I I know where I, you know I know where the candidates stand, so I was less confused, but I do understand how people who aren't going to read every article or comb over every bit of news coverage may have walked away confused about the health care um, and what's what who's proposing what and to those folks I would just recommend that you um, that you just um, maybe just take it upon yourself look at each candidate's um, look at their their platform some candidates have built out more policies than others uh, and you'll find comprehensive information um, from from a number of candidates. Let me do some station identification, and I'm going to take a quick break and come back with the uh, Nina Turner interview. But this is OM Radio. I'm your host of Miked Up on OM, Mika Gadsden, and I'm recording live, or actually, I'm I guess I'm broadcasting live, not recording live from uh, from Workshop, which is located at 1503 King Street here inside of the OM Radio studio. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, you know what? Because Kev is gonna leave me next week and then come back. But I think I'm gonna, Kevin. I think I'm gonna play one of your songs. Sure. I've got like 18 billion um, windows open. Here we go. I'm gonna start playing it. And let's see. Let me show. I'm playing it. I'm, I'm still. Huh? Is it okay? Give me the thumbs up. All right, let's take a break. <laughs>
You're so good, Kevin. Your songs are music is good. You can find Kevin. You can find Kevin's uh, music on Spotify. Is that it? Everything. And it's Kev Woods. Kev, no space, Woods. You can find it there. I recommend. I can't recommend, but I um, I like it. <laughs> All right. Let me see if I can close the window. So, yeah, this is Mic'd Up on Ohm. This is Mika Gass, and the show's janky. I'm just leaning into it. Isn't that what Sheryl Sandberg told us to do? Lean in. That was an abrupt stop. That's going to sound great. Um, yeah, this is Mic'd Up on Ohm. Uh, activist radio hour um like i said i'm mika gadsden this is 96.3 fm on radio we broadcast each and every week from workshop which is located at 1503 king street inside of the own radio studio uh yeah you can also find out like if you're having trouble hearing us in your car or you just want to keep like listening to us while you run into target or to some other local business establishment that's not Target. Um, you can stream us. <laughs> you can, there's an app. So if you go to www.om963.org, you can find out information how to stream or you, from my app. Or you can stream from the website, too. That's how I do it because I'm a curmudgeon. All right. So, yeah, we were just talking about uh, the night, the debate night. I kind of was going on and on about how uh, the debate went down and the production. It was substantive. I think you were able to learn a lot Um, for those who are like, when is it going to get down to like one person? My friends ask me that all the time. And um, the 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 field will will winnow a little bit. Um, Of course, uh, there's uh, well, not of course, there are no debates scheduled for August. So the next round of debates will happen in September. And to qualify for that next round of debates, the DNC created a mechanism. Uh, well, they, they tightened the standards or up the, up the ante um, so that it's more competitive. So we know, I think as of right now, seven candidates have already qualified for September. Beto O'Rourke has, Pete Buttigieg has, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, um, and Corey, no, did Cory Booker? I don't think Cory Booker did. You have to reach 2% um, in the polls and about four polls that the DNC recognizes. And you have to have over 130,000 uh, unique uh, givers or rather um, people who, oh my gosh, yeah, donators to your, people who donate to your campaign. Uh, you had to have 138,000 individual donations. That's a way for you not, you know, because there's a lot of people who are self self-funding their campaign i believe delaney and tom steyer just to name two are self-funding so that's a way for you not to just buy your way onto stage onto the stage you have to show that you have um uh uh, you know you have to show that you have people who want to see you up there and you have support so i'm rooting for i want i want it to be down to like at least eight i think eight is good it's still a lot but i think eight gives me a lot of variety between candidates like I want to hear more Julian Castro I want to hear more Beto O'Rourke um this doesn't pop on the debate stage but maybe if it's fewer uh candidates on the stage maybe he'll he'll uh, shine and again he has qualified for September um you know Kamala Harris definitely qualified for September as well um, those we probably won't see. We might not see Cory Booker, even though he did do very well to, for people. Everyone loved that Kool-Aid joke. I thought the Kool-Aid joke was both, like, cringeworthy and funny at the same time. Um, but that's what, yeah, folks on Twitter call him Spicy Cory. Um, hopefully he'll be back just, like, 
just the kind of he's really effective at putting Biden on his feet on his heels. And so for that, and and I mean that in a good way, not in that whole TV sticky like, you know, it's a production way. I like the fact that he was so prepared that he was ready for Biden to come at him about his record in Newark, even though and and Biden was that was going to be his defense, Biden's defense against the crime bill criticism. But Corey was so ready and it really and see that readiness made Biden have to respond in a way or not respond. And so if you're a really good debater, I want to see that you don't need I don't really live for the spectacle, but I love a good sound debate where you hit me one, you jab and I counter jab, you know. All right, so that's enough of me talking about that. I probably will just um, end the show with a little bit more insight as to what to look out for for debate. But I'll get into the interview with um, Nina Turner. It's, it's a brief interview, but it's good. I'm going to um, adjust the volume a little bit when I play it. Uh, but, yeah, this is my interview again, just for those who may have just been tuning in. Uh, on Sunday, I was able to uh, get an exclusive interview with Nina Turner. She visited Wadmala Island. We have a community center on Wadmala, and I say we. Because I live on Wadmala. Um, and so at this this community center is run largely by the African American um uh, community that still resides on Wadmala. Uh and it's it's a place where a lot of candidates go to stump. Um and so it was great to see that the campaign, the Sanders campaign, made this uh community center one of the stops on their their low country tour and so instead of bernie sanders uh, being there of course because a lot of the, the you know bernie was in detroit michigan and also in canada taking folks um to get uh, affordable insulin across the border but bernie was not in the state of course in preparation for the debate so you know you would send pretty dope surrogates in your stead and um one thing i can say about nina turner she's a very effective co-chair and a very, very effective spokesperson for the campaign. Uh, no one can ever argue that she's not. She's very passionate, and you'll hear that passion come through. So I, if you'll hear, as you always hear each week, I speak very fast. I, I didn't really realize it until I got older, but I had just a limited time with her. So you'll hear me kind of talk a little fast, but her responses are what you need to focus on mostly and she does a good job explaining herself so i'm going to queue up um uh, the interview real quick and yeah i'm going to lower my mic so you all can hear it and make sure that the volume is up hold on one second let me make sure we got it here all right bet um, first question I have uh, is um, you've served as a, a surrogate for the campaign, for the Sanders campaign, both now and in 2016. Um, for those who don't know, why are you so passionately behind Senator Sanders? I'm passionately behind Senator Sanders because he has that heart-soul agreement that we need for a time such as this. He is somebody that feels deeply, thinks diff- deeply, and is willing to put it all on the line. He has nothing to lose, and he stands up. And he has said to us, even when he ran the last time, but even before then, he has been, you know, I encourage your listeners to go back and do his do the research. He's been saying the same thing for the last 40 years, that the system is rigged and that the working class and middle class people of this country deserve better than what they're getting. And that he will go up against the systems in this country to stand up for all of us. So Medicare for All is one example of that college for all canceling student debt. He's constantly said, if we can bail out Wall Street, we can put a little down payment on, on, on it for Main Street. And that's what he's standing up for. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, next question is, Bernie Sanders has uh, an advantage in that other candidates didn't have to go through that contentious primary. So he's he's had, he's putting he's in his time. He's battle-tested. He's battle-tested. Yes. Yeah, so, so how do you think that advantage is going to play out in states like South Carolina where he, he's, you know, suffered a big loss um, in the primary? But how do you think it's going to benefit? Yeah, I mean, and, and you're referring to 2016. Right. I mean, the southern states were front-loaded. Senator Sanders is a senator from Vermont. He hails from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm you know, by way, but went to Vermont and, and that's where he made his, his adult life there in Vermont. And Vermont is a smaller state and it's not as diverse. So when he got on the scene in 20, really 2015, in terms of declaring that he was going to run for president in that latter part, he was on the national scene, but people had to really try to get to know him. Now people really understand the mission and now we're going deeper so that they understand the man. Your question that you asked about why Senator Bernard Sanders. Well, if you look at all of the presidential candidates that are up there right now, they're all speaking from the gospel according to Senator Bernie Sanders. He's the one that had the courage to nationalize the fact that our health care system is rotten to the core, that people are dying or losing their property, you know, losing the things that they fought for and worked for just if you have a, a health crisis you could lose everything that the system is rigged that the pharmaceutical companies are ripping us off that in Canada our sisters and brothers there for example insulin the senator took a group of folks with diabetes there today to show they pay t- we pay 10 times more than what they do same manufacturer why is that it is because too many politicians in, in this country are bought and sold by their owners, by their donors, excuse me, by the people who give them the most money to do their bidding. And what Senator Sanders is saying that his only special interests are the everyday people in this country. And we need that. And this is my last question. You answered my question about Medicare, so that was good. Um, and his health care objective, because you know the state really needs that. Yeah, uh, I mean, South Carolina pays the third highest health care costs, only third to Alaska mm-hmm. and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So we, we need this. Okay, so my last question will be specifically about black women and having you as a surrogate. It signals a lot of things to me. But what do you think, uh, what message or what? how can we get, uh, how can the Sanders campaign connect with black women here? We're going to continue to come and visit this state. Just what we're doing right now is about building relationships. See, Senator Sanders, unlike some of these candidates, he doesn't believe that his proximity to a black president gives him the right to expect mm-hmm that black people will vote for him or his ethnicity gives him an advantage. He wants to work and earn this vote. And that's what we're doing. The Senator has come to the state time and time again. He's been to several, several events in the state. We're going to keep coming back myself. As you know, we know we got brother Danny Glover here. We have been here. This is like my second home. I joke with Joe with mm-hmm. the South Carolinians. And I say to them when people, when I tell people where I'm from, I'm gonna have to start adding South Carolina. I'm gonna have to say Ohio mm-hmm. and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Come, come on. We got, we got a lot of Ohioans here. But just, you know, building a relationship and just showing that things will be different when he is the president. In the United States of America. You know, Sister Gasson, we, we talked about health, Medicare for all, but I want I want black women in particular to understand what that means for them, that black women die at higher rates when we give birth in the United States of America in 2019, that black babies die at higher rates than anybody else's babies in the 21st century, that we are underinsured and uninsured at higher rates, disproportionate in this country. Medicare for all is a black woman's issue. When Senator Sanders says that we need to raise the a wage, the, the minimum wage to a living wage of $15 an hour, that speaks to black women. Most black women are, you know, in jobs where they don't make a living wage. They don't make a living wage. And then when you couple that with the fact that we run a lot of our households, 
There are a lot of single parent households in the black community. Imagine that mama who can make a living wage. When he talks about being unionized, black women need that because if we're in union jobs, we have a job that pays a living wage and that has, you know, that gives us the opportunity to, to shepherd our families. So Senator Sanders' agenda is the black woman's agenda and the black woman's agenda is America's agenda because when we serve and we speak out, when we stand up for what is just right and good, we do it for ourselves and everybody else in this country. So I just want our sisters and brothers, the people who listen to your show, I want them to just do their research. They will know a tree by the fruit that it bears. And Senator Sanders has been bearing righteous fruit for a very long time. And he is the one. He's not just saying this stuff and standing up for this stuff because he's running for president. He believes this stuff. So let's do this. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, that was my interview. You heard me come on the mic a little bit. That's my interview with Nina Turner. Um, it was an amazing interview. As you could hear, she has so much passion in her voice, and she just she stands very firmly behind Bernie Sanders and his in his platform. So it was really um, again. I want to just say thank you to Jessica Bright. Thank you also to um, Michael Wukila uh, who. <laughs> waited with me in the wings for her to arrive at the site and really worked with me and um you know made that possible so thank you to both of those two folks with the sanders campaign here uh, in south carolina um yeah and thank you to uh senator nina turner I, I, she just was an amazing interview and i hope that again have these conversations with more people either related to i don't know how that's going to work with the radio station but either directly uh, with the candidates or um, perhaps, you know, just surrogates like her or, or get some, get a few moments here or there. Um, we can put out requests, I'm sure. Um, so we'll, we'll work it out, though, for sure, because that's the this is tis the season, as I say, um, from this is my Super Bowl season politics. Again, for those listening, this is Miked Up on Ohm. I'm Mika Gadsden, your host, and you're listening to 96.3 Ohm Radio. And, uh, yeah, we're your nonprofit, non-commercial radio station, and we're, and we're broadcasting live from Workshop here at 1503 King Street. And uh, we just heard from Nina Turner. You also heard me break down the debate on um, the, this week's debate. And for and I think I did give a little bit about the previous debate, a recap. I don't know. I had a watch party the first round, the NBC round. I had a little watch party with uh, Black Voters Matter. Shout out Jazz Johnson, who help coordinate that and shout out Black Voters Matter for their work and in, in, in helping that come about. And also uh, they had a dope event in Michigan where uh, they had like a town hall featuring Angela Rye. So they're just doing amazing work. Uh, they're reaching out to so many different important politicos and operatives and voices that need to be amplified or need to just co- constantly be at the forefront. And Angela Rye is one of those voices that emerged from the 2016 campaign season and has parlayed that exposure on CNN into other thing, other more, you know, other meaningful work and working with Black Voters Matter, partnering with them is meaningful work. There was another, um, let me make sure my mic is turned down, my uh, other mic is turned down, but um, there was another opportunity where I, I had a chance to interact or interface with um, another presidential campaign, and that is when Joe Biden uh, came to town. Uh, the Biden campaign, uh, being that Joe Biden is the front runner and has profited or has really benefited, not profited, he has benefited from, of course, being the most popular Democrat in our country 
Barack Obama's uh, running mate and vice president for for two terms. So he's definitely positioned as the front runner because his name ID is just has placed him there. Women like my mom, who identifies as you know black Southern, uh, over sixty five, really really like Joe Biden. It's just a it's a very familiar face, and I think anyone who has watched Joe Biden. Throughout throughout the two terms and before as well, I lived in Philly, so he's a Delaware dude. So very um, very likable to people in Pennsylvania, Steel City, you know Pittsburgh area that that kind of that blue collar type of uh, of towns or, or cultures. Uh, it, he's really popular among folks uh, in that setting, and he's popular with Black women here in the South uh, because he is the name we know. And also, um, you know, again, Barack Obama, I believe I heard or read this week that Barack Obama still has like a 92 percent approval rating um, in the country. And and rightfully so. Um, I think his campaign was well, it definitely was historic, Um, even though, you know, I definitely have have, we've looked back uh, at his at his uh, time in office critically. And I think that that's okay, no matter what. Uh, many of his cabinet members are saying and printing in the, the Washington Post. I think it's okay to um, critique the Obama years and see them not through rose-colored glasses, but see them for what it really was—the wins and the opportunities. Um, but that being said, uh, that that he still is very favorable among many, and and I get that he's earned that in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, with that name recognition, Joe Biden has stayed at the top of the polls. And so he came to Charleston and um, he was hosted by uh, state rep um, uh, Marlon Kimson. And Kim, uh, Marlon Kimson also um, hosts a lot of town halls. He's, he's going to he's going to be the I guess the point person for a number of these town halls because we know that Cory Booker is also coming on Monday to Charleston again at the ILA Hall, the International Longshoremen's uh, Hall here uh, right down the street actually from us here at Workshop. So Cory Booker will be in town off the heels of a of a dope performance and um, but I, and I'd li- I'd like to go. I hope I can go and just uh, maybe be a member of the press again in that capacity. Um, uh, but when Biden came, it was it was a different feel from some of the other campaigns that I've interacted with. He was more guarded. And now this was after the Kamala Harris debate on NBC. So he had he had gotten exposed or he was you know, he didn't do too well in his debate. And so I believe the campaign was just trying to protect, you know, serving his best interests and protect him from any type of press setup questions. But they did make him available to us outside of Butcher and B. Um, for about five minutes outside, and then we were able to go inside and see uh, the vice president address uh, a closed room, uh, and I mentioned this on a previous show, closed room at Butcher and B, a, a luncheon which um, boasted notable guests like uh, Dot Scott from the NAACP, uh, former gubernatorial candidate, Democratic gubernatorial candidate James Smith, Mayor Tecklenburg, Mayor Riley, just to name a few notables from the area, and another um, a lot of other key operatives um, we saw in the room. We saw Mariah Hill, formerly of the Joe Cunningham campaign, uh, Simone Sanders, uh, formerly of the Bernie Sanders campaign, and uh, Antoine Seawright, a, a well-known operative throughout the state of South Carolina. They were all in the room as well just to paint a picture. Um, but it, but the campaign was guarded. They didn't give us a lot of access, uh, but he, they did make him available for, like, a few questions. And I'm going to, like, I'm going to pull up the – I have the video on my phone right here. And I was able to ask Joe Biden, like, one question 
Um, this is my first time, like like with the Nina Turner interview, this is like a watershed moment because it's my first like really decent high profile interview, and I'm proud of it. What, what, regardless of how it's viewed publicly, I'm very proud of of uh, making my way, um, to getting the opportunity, and and I was very proud of of um, jumping in there with the CNNs and the Reuters and the and the uh, Associated Press people and the Post and Courier, I jumped right in and was able to put my put my my voice recorder up there with the best of them and ask uh, Joe Biden a question regarding black women. And so I'm looking at this now. I'm going to let it play. I'm going to turn up the volume so you guys can hear it. And laid out where I was and what we want to do. Not that loud. This is about see. the future. It's not about the past. And I'm proud of my past. Have I made mistakes? Yes. Do we grow? Yes. But the fact of the matter is, that's why I chose here in South Carolina and chose an audience that, in fact, is, would be the most likely to have been offended by anything that was said. Points of differences between you and her after your apology yesterday. What's your reaction to that? I'm sorry, say again. Kamala Harris has just said that there are still points of differences between you and her after. Oh, your there apology. are. Healthcare, we strongly disagree. I don't want to get away, do away with Obamacare and start all over and trash it. Oh, you okay? Oh. Okay, here comes my question, it, everyone. Thank you. I got it. Thank you. Vice President. I'm sorry. You anyway, answer, what do you have to say to black men, women here? Well, uh, you, you didn't get to make it down there. Your other nominees have, or other well, candidates have. What do you have to say to black women here in Charleston? Well, everything I've said all along, that look at this is a, take a look. See what I stand for. And what I stand for is everything about promoting women generally and black women in particular. And it's everything about my career. But going back to finishing your question. <laughs> so um, if you can hear this, I'm so embarrassed, y'all. Um, I speak so fast. I was so nervous. And I just was like, basically, let me just restate what I asked him. Um, that was, again, off the heels of the debate, um, the first the first set of debates on NBC. And that's after Kamala Harris had that, um, you know, that, that, that moment, that busing moment where she brought up his record with busing and then was able to refer to her own history with busing. And it just had that amazing moment, which really knocked him off his feet um, uh, and really kind of jarred him. He was visibly jarred. And also he just wasn't prepared for that type of a uh, quote unquote attack. I hate using that word, but that type of debate um, jab. Um, and so uh what what followed after that week was Essence Fest, and that's not just some sort of cultural like festival. Essence Fest has become quite the political uh, destination for a lot of candidates. We saw Pete Buttigieg at Essence Fest. Um, oh, something. Oh, you good? <laughs> uh, we saw Pete Buttigieg at Essence Fest. Uh, we saw Kamala Harris at Essence Fest. We saw Elizabeth Warren at Essence Fest, and um, yeah, we we saw. Let me make sure I'm checking my, there we go. All right. Yeah. My headphones went out again. Yeah. And and so um, it was notable who wasn't at Essence Fest. And that kind of showed you where, uh, where those candidates, um, where they, where they stood, I guess, or what kind of platform they had. And he didn't want to expose himself to another moment. I'm, I'm thinking because, you know, you would think the, the former two term VP with Obama would feel well at home with black women um, and so I think the Anita Hill issue and the Kamala Harris attack on the debate stage 
probably probably just didn't want to expose himself to any type of vulner, you know, vulnerability, and that made a lot of sense. So my question was, I said all that. My question was, you know, being that you didn't make it to Essence Fest, what do you have to say directly to black women here in Charleston? And I'll let you decide how you feel his his tone sounded to you, but he sounded to me um, a little like exasperated. Uh, you know, I think that he just doesn't want to be exposed. But more importantly, I think he's tired of defending, to be honest, and I, I'm going to empathize with him. He's probably tired of defending the fact that he's not anti-black woman. And, um, you know, I, I you know, I don't think he's anti-black woman. I, I don't think he's anti-woman. I just think that his record is long and it's, it's um, it, it, it can do good two things it could be an asset and it could be a liability at the same time because if you're in public office for over 40 years you're just gonna have a lot of fodder for people a lot of ammunition for people to just comb over and revisit and he hasn't made all the best choices but he hasn't been all the bad ones either so he sounded exasperated and I get that it's no excuse I was looking for a more thoughtful response to black women especially in a state like South Carolina where black women literally their votes matter a lot it carry a lot of political power and political weight so that was unfortunate but perhaps in a different setting not in like 90 degree weather outside of butcher and bee maybe it would be more conducive to a longer conversation but i will say too that his de- demeanor is consistent with what i've seen in other settings i i think there is an air of invincibility um that he's that he's kind of a cloaking himself with and I don't know if that'll serve him well in the future that's just my commentary again I'm not a reporter so I'm not going to just give you the facts I'm going to give my opinion and that's my opinion Um, but it was great to have uh, a moment to ask him that question again shoulder to shoulder with like people that you watch on CNN and and, um, on cable news and even Fox News was there so um, it was it was a great moment for me, and I'm learning to slow down, and be more deliberate in my questions and my answers, um, and really just um, not be so nervous. But I was very nervous, um, and you heard that in my voice. I speak so fast when I get nervous; it's it's, it's beyond. But yeah, um, I think I'm gonna take another Kev Woods break and um, then come back. I don't have any more audio clips to play. God willing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'll come back with more. I'll wrap up the show uh, with more analysis regarding the debate. And, yeah, what's on what's on the horizon for all of us voters here in South Carolina?
Spotify. This is Miked Up on OM. I'm Mika Gadsden, your host, and this is 96.3 FM OM Radio. We're broadcasting live from Workshop, which is here at 1503 King Street, inside of the OM Radio, uh, OM Radio Studio. Um, and yeah, this is your non-commercial community radio station. And we were just talking about, you know, the, I guess, politics right now, national politics. Um, one thing that's really important to note and crystal again state rep crystal simmons she was on my show and i've been following her she is a gag she is a key on social media but one thing she tweeted the other day which um i meant to repost it's like don't forget about these down ballot races you know not just keep that same energy for other um for other races the presidential race is of course important we're going to get a lot of people here um we're going to get i've already been reached i've already spoken with the new york times of course um the washington post reached out this week um other organizers from other states are starting to reach out um which is cool which is dope because i get to work with some really like amazing people but the other thing that's going to happen is you're going to get a lot of other people here and it's just going to take over charleston and south carolina in general um, but it, and it's hard. It's easy to just get caught up in all of the. It's easy to get caught up in all of the like just the confusion, the chaos, and lose sight of other races. So just um, you know, and there will be so many organizations like League of Women Voters, which is another nonpartisan organization that I really, really uh, like and learn from. Um, organizations like that will really keep you up to date on other races, not just the presidential race, um, even some special elections. For those who do not know. The, the Democratic primary for president is in February um, of 2020. So that's so yeah, we're seeing them here in summer in the summertime, heading into the fall. Um, a lot of activity. The Democratic field will narrow starting in September at the at the uh, next debate, which I believe is in Texas at HBCU. I just cannot call it right now. I can't. The name of the, the uh, HBCU escapes me. But um, hopefully they'll have an African-American woman moderator because African-American women carry the dang on Democratic Party, like on our backs. Like, please, like, please, Robin Roberts, because I believe ABC News is hosting the next one. Please, Robin Roberts, be a moderator. Or if not her, go pull somebody from NPR or something. Yeah, Michelle Sendor or the young lady, um, last name Thomas from Vice News. She's amazing. Please, y'all, do something. This is getting a little, this is becoming egregious. Um, but yeah, and if you also, if you're a black woman out there organizing and doing a lot of work for the Democratic Party, shout out to you for doing that hard work. If you work in the polls, I used to work the polls as well, not those polls, but the other polls on election day. Um, both polls are cool, by the way, no no judgment. Uh, but yeah, I used to work the, um, the election, uh, work on election day, and that's the most like underappreciated 
hard work, hardest work you'll ever have to do because it's basically providing customer service uh, for 12 hours. You can't leave. You can't take a break and go to Chipotle. You got to bring your lunch um, and sit there and have people come and try to make political statements, have people come and try to take pictures and campaigns coming and, and, and you know, having a little tete-a-tete with, with each other. And it's a lot of work and a lot of accountability for little pay. So shout out to all the people who work for the um, the Board of Elections, uh, you know, down there in, in North Charleston on Headquarters Road. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a thankless job, but shout out to you all. Hopefully this year you got a pay bump. But um, also, um, yeah, if you're involved, just just make sure you have a place at the table and that it's the place that you position yourself, that you've chosen for yourself. Uh, don't let anyone dis- discount your voice, even if it's not a popular opinion. And I'm saying that, yes, selfishly, because I say a lot of things that aren't necessarily in line with mainstream views of candidates or politics. Um, but that's okay. Uh, we need to have diversity among opinions. Uh, the reason why and a lot of people think that, oh, it's too many candidates. And while I will admit um, these, uh, there are a lot of candidates and it's hard to track everything, it's good to have a lot of candidates. It shows a healthy democracy when you have viable candidates. Even the candidates that I don't agree with, a lot of them are strong contenders and that I could never discount um, their experience and what they bring to the table and what they've done in, in the states that they hail from. So even if I don't agree with them ideologically or politically, um, they're viable candidates and they deserve um, they deserve a moment to at least try to run for president. So, um, uh, you know, diversity of opinion is important. I'm glad that we do have a, a, such an, a, a range of options, uh, such a range of options from the Democratic Party. That's a healthy democracy. Don't let anyone tell you that limited choices is better. Um, you need to have you need to have all all the choices. And so ha- be, you know, be bold in your opinions, be strong in your opinion and your stance, and don't let anyone ever, ever tell you that you can't speak up and say something unpopular, especially if you know it to be true, especially if, if you've been studying uh, Charleston um, and how things go down here year after year, generation after generation. I said something uh, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook um, to the fact of I just look forward to the moment where our polit- our local politicians stop using uh, victims of the AME, or rather, let me say it like this, victims of the Dylan Roof massacre as a backdrop. And that didn't really rub uh, one politician in particularly well, um, and they responded. So I, I imagine that they didn't like what I had to say. I stand behind that. A lot of times we, we trot out the the Dylan Roof survivors um, for political moments and, uh, you know, and position them right next to the candidate of choice. And um, I said that and I got pushback and I, and I still believe what I say and I still stand behind what I say. And it didn't win me any any friends, but I think it earned me some respect because that shows you that we're not dumb constituents, that we're smart and we can think critically and we can espouse our opinions however we want. Um, That's a healthy democracy. So keep speaking up. Keep fighting for what you believe in, and um, you don't have to make up your mind. This is a really important point. I don't know why I just yelled. Please um, give yourself time to make your decisions. It, it might feel like you have to choose a team right now, especially after, like, like, like Cory Booker's Kool-Aid moment made him cool for a couple of days, so you might want to be, you know, I want to get behind the cool guy, or, or I know that sounds like I'm demeaning your voice, your choices or 
saying that you would only pick a candidate because he said something cool. But my point is, like, sometimes that front runner is just like, wow, like, oh, I want to get behind that person. I want to, no, give yourself time to make sound decisions. Even if you're, let's say you're already looking at one candidate. Like, I'm looking at one candidate. But this week, a couple other candidates got in my, got in, you know, got in there, and I'm, and I'm willing to listen to some others. And I told myself to me, give yourself time to make a decision. You don't have to rush. February 2020 is around the corner, but it's not here yet. So give yourself time to make a, a, a choice. Um, until next time, this is Mika Gadsden. You're listening to Miked Up on OWN Radio, 96.3 FM, on radio here in Charleston. And, uh, yeah, until next time, stay free. And out there, my Gullah folk, stay black.